0: Hello and welcome to Byzantium and the Crusades. My name is Nick Holmes and this episode is called The Decline of the Crusaders, Episode 6, Saladin, The Early Years. In the last episode, we heard about how the king of Jerusalem, Amalric, attacked Egypt with the Byzantine fleet in 1169. They laid siege to the Egyptian fortress of Damietta, but the new sultan of Egypt, Saladin, successfully defended the fortress and the Crusaders and Byzantines had to retreat with heavy losses. Why was Amalric invading Egypt? Well, the reason was to stop it falling into the hands of Nur ad-Din, the Zengid ruler to the east of the Crusader states who had united the emirates of Aleppo, Mosul and Damascus into a single state running from modern Turkey down to the Red Sea. For Amalric knew that if there was one united Islamic state running all the way from Egypt to modern Turkey, it would be too strong for the Crusaders. And who was Saladin who defeated the Crusader Byzantine forces? Well, he is, of course, one of the most famous Islamic rulers in history, still venerated today as a model leader. He was the man who would triumph over the Crusaders and then be confronted by a new Crusader onslaught from the West, led by another of the most famous legends in the age of the Crusades, the King of England, Richard the Lionheart. But all of that wonderful story is a long way ahead of us at the moment. And in this episode, you'll hear about Saladin. Aladdin's early years which were fraught with difficulty and danger. As before, I'll read extracts from my abridged version of Sir Stephen Runciman's wonderful History of the Crusades. Hope you enjoy it. Nur ad-Din, the ruler of the Zengids, was suspicious of the new ruler of Egypt, Saladin. However, Saladin behaved with perfect correctitude. In April 1170, his father, Najim-eddin Ayub was sent to him by Nur ad-Din with a company of Syrian troops, partly as a gesture of friendship, partly perhaps as a hint. For, Saladin's father, Ayub was devoted to Nur ad-Din, as a large number of Damascene merchants travelled with the convoy, eager to open up trade with Cairo in Egypt. Nur ad-Din himself led a demonstration against the crusader castle of Karak, in order to allow the great caravan to pass safely through the territory of outre Jordan. It was Nur ad-Din's only move against the crusaders. During their Egyptian expedition he had left them in peace, and in January 1170 they had even been able to recover the Muslim castle of Aqar on the south of the Bukaya, which had been lost probably in eleven sixty five, Amalric, as regent of Tripoli as well as king of Jerusalem, assigned it together with the town of Aqar to the Hospitallers, who now controlled the whole valley. On the twenty ninth of June, eleven seventy, Syria was visited by a terrible earthquake, as destructive as those of eleven fifty seven, and for the next few months, both Christians and Muslims. "'Muslims alike were busy repairing ruined fortresses. "'Aleppo, Shizar, Hamer, and Homs were all severely damaged, "'as were Crac de Chevalier, Tripoli and Jebile. "'At Antioch the damage was enormous, "'but the Franks saw divine justice in it, "'for the Greek patriarch and his clergy "'were celebrating mass in the Cathedral of St Peter "'when the edifice collapsed on them.' As Anathasius lay dying under the ruins, Prince Bohemond and his court hurried to Cousar, to his rival Amory, to beg him to return. The brief episode of Byzantine ecclesiastical rule in Antioch was thereby ended. The Byzantine emperor could not intervene, angry though he was at the news, for things were going badly in Cilicia. The Armenian prince Thoros had died in 1168, leaving a child, Rupen II, to succeed him under the regency of a Frankish lord called Thomas, whose mother had been Thoros' sister. But Thoros' brother, Malay, disputed the succession. He had at one time taken vows as a Templar, then, after quarreling with Thoros and attempting to assassinate him, he had fled to Nur ad-Din and become a Muslim. Early in 1170, Nur ad-Din lent him troops with which he was able not only to dethrone his nephew but also to invade the Cilician plain and take Mamistra, Dana and Tarsus from the Byzantines. He then attacked the Templars at Bagras. Bohemond appealed to King Emalric, who marched up into Cilicia and temporarily, it seems, restored, ruled for the Crusaders and Byzantines. This friendly action may have reconciled the Emperor Manuel to his loss of ecclesiastical control in Antioch, but Malay, the Armenian, was irrepressible. A year or so later, he managed to capture the Byzantine general Constantine Koloman and again overran Cilicia. Meanwhile, Nur was occupied further east. His brother. Quitab al-Din of Mosul died in the summer of 1170. His two sons, Saif din and Imad al-Din, disputed the inheritance, and some months passed before Nur din could settle the matter to his liking. The respite was useful for the Crusaders, but the problem of Egypt remained unresolved. Amalric remained faithful to his policy of a close alliance with the Byzantines and also made constant appeals to the West. In the spring of 1171, he decided to pay a personal visit to the Byzantine Emperor in Constantinople. His departure was delayed by a sudden offensive made by Saladin against his southern frontier. Early in December 1170, a great Egyptian army appeared before daron the southernmost Frankish fortress on the Mediterranean coast. Its defences were weak, and though Saladin had no siege engines with him, its fall seemed imminent. King Amalric, taking with him the Patriarch and the Relic of the True Cross, hastened with a small but well-trained force to Ascalon arriving there on the 18th of December and moving on to the Templars' fortress at Gaza, where he left his general Miles of Plancy in charge as the Templar knights joined him in the march on Daron. He managed to break through the Egyptian army and enter Daron, whereupon Saladin raised the siege and marched on Gaza. The lower town was taken despite a futile resistance ordered by Miles, and its inhabitants were massacred. But the citadel was so formidable that Saladin did not venture to attack it. As suddenly as he had come, he disappeared back to the Egyptian frontier. He then sent a squadron up the Gulf of Aqaba, which captured the Frankish outpost of Eila at the head of the gulf during the last days of the year. King Amalric left Acre for Constantinople on the 10th of March with a large staff including the Bishop of Acre and the Marshal of the Court Gerard of Pougie. The master of the temple, Philip of Me resigned his post in order to go ahead as ambassador. After calling in at Tripoli, the king sailed on to the north. At Gallipoli he was met by his father-in-law, who, as the wind was contrary, took him overland to Heraclea. There he embarked again, in order to enter the capital of Constantinople, through the palace gate of the harbour of Bucolion, an honour that was reserved for crowned heads alone. Amalric's reception by the Byzantines delighted both him and his staff. The Byzantine Emperor Manuel liked Westerners in general, and he found Amalric sympathetic. He showed him his usual lavish generosity. His family all joined in offering hospitality. There were endless religious ceremonies and festivities. There was a dancing display in the Byzantine Hippodrome and a trip in a barge up and down the Bosphorus outside Constantinople. In the midst of it all, the Byzantine Emperor and the King of Jerusalem discuss the future. A treaty was made and signed, but its terms are not recorded. It seems that the King of Jerusalem recognised in some vague way the Byzantine Emperor's rule over the native Christians, and that also the Byzantine Emperor promised naval and financial help whenever another expedition against Egypt should be planned. And there was also agreement that common action should be taken against the Armenians in Cilicia." Stay with us. We'll be right back. Join us each week on the Well Beyond Medicine podcast as we explore the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. Listen and subscribe at NemoursWellBeyond.org, where you'll hear pediatric experts, researchers, and policymakers from around the world discussing ways they are revolutionizing children's health. I'm your host, Carol Vassar. Let's go. Whatever were the details of the treaty, the Crusaders were well satisfied by their visit and full of admiration for the Byzantines. They sailed homeward from Constantinople on the 5th of June, hopeful for the future. The Crusader appeal to the West, however, was less successful. Frederick of Tyre was still wandering ineffectually through the courts of France and England. About the end of 1170, King Amalric wrote to him to invite Stephen of Champagne to Palestine to marry the Princess Sibylla. The suggestion was prompted by a tragedy that had befallen Amalric's family for his son Baldwin, who was now nine years old, had been sent with comrades of his own age to be instructed by William, Archdeacon of Tyre. He was a handsome, intelligent boy, but one day, when his pupils were testing their endurance by driving their nails into each other's arms, William noticed that the prince alone never flinched. He watched carefully and soon realised that the boy was insensitive to pain because he was a leper a disease that was still common at the time. This boded ill for the kingdom of Jerusalem, for if Baldwin grew up, he could never carry on the dynasty. Amalric's young Byzantine queen might yet bear a son, but meanwhile, for safety's sake, Amalric would be wise to marry his eldest child Sibylla to some rich experienced western prince who could act, if need be, as regent, or even as the king of Jerusalem. Stephen accepted the invitation and landed with a part of knights in Palestine in the summer of 1171, a few days before Amalric arrived back from Constantinople. But he did not like the look of Palestine. He brusquely broke off the marriage negotiations and after paying his vows at the holy places, left with his company for the north, intending to visit Constantinople. As he passed through Cilicia, he was waylaid by the Armenians, who robbed him of all that he had with him. Next year, an even more important visitor came to Jerusalem. This was Henry the Lion. Duke of Saxony and Bavaria, grandson of the German Emperor Lothair and son-in-law of the English King Henry II, but he too refused to fight for the cross. He had come merely as a pilgrim and left as soon as possible for Germany. King Amalric thought that the lack of help for the Crusaders from the West was bitterly disappointing, but he was pleased that the Islamic world was starting to fall apart, for Saladin's relations with Nur ad-Din seemed close to breaking point. By January 1171, Nur ad-Din had installed a garrison of his own at Mosul, where his nephew Saif ad-Din ruled, and had annexed Nizibin and the Kabur Valley for himself and Sinjar for his favourite nephew. Then, piously anxious for the triumph of orthodox Islam, he wrote to Saladin in Egypt demanding that prayers in the Egyptian mosques should no longer mention the Fatimid caliph, but instead the caliph of Baghdad. Saladin did not wish to comply. After two centuries of Fatimid rule, Shia influences were strong in Egypt. But even so, Saladin bowed to Nur ad-Din's wishes and recognised the Sunni caliph of Baghdad. Nevertheless, Saladin was keen to preserve his independence from Nur ad-Din. This was tested again in 1173, when King Amalric felt strong enough to march north into Cilicia to punish the Armenians for their outrage against Stephen of Champagne and to carry out his promise to the Byzantine Emperor. The campaign achieved nothing except to check the Armenians' further expansion. Meanwhile, Nur ad-Din used the opportunity to invade Crusader outre and summoned Saladin from Egypt to come to his support. Saladin, faithful to his father's advice, came up with an army from Egypt and laid siege to the Crusader castle of Karak. Meanwhile, Nur ad-Din moved down from Damascus on his approach, Saladin raised the siege and returned to Egypt, saying with truth that his father was dangerously ill, but it was clear that he had no wish to destroy the Frankish buffer state that lay between him and Nur ad Nur ad in his turn encamped before the crusader castle of Karak. the fief of outre Jourdain, of which it was the capital, belonged to an heiress, Stephanie of Milly. Her first husband, Humphrey, heir of Turon, had died a few Few years before. Her second husband, Amalric's regent, Miles of Plancy, was away with the king. It was her first father-in-law, an old constable, Humphrey of Turon, who came to her rescue on the mobilisation of the forces left in the kingdom, Nur ad-Din decided to retreat, and his fury against Saladin was unbounded. When he heard of the death in August of Saladin's father, who was his most loyal servant in Cairo, he vowed to invade Egypt himself in the coming spring." This disunity in the Muslim world was very welcome to the Crusaders, and in the autumn of 1173, they received overtures from another unexpected quarter. This was from the assassins, who were a Shia sect that had built up its own power base in Persia and Syria. They had a history of assassinating their enemies, both Muslim and Christian. Little had been heard of the assassins during the last decades, apart from their arbitrary murder of Raymond II of Tripoli in 1152. They had, however, been quietly consolidating their territory in the Nazeri mountains. In general, they showed no animosity towards the crusaders. Their hated enemy was Nur ad-Din, whose power restricted them in the east. But he had been unable to suppress them, and a dagger found on his pillow one night warned him not to go too far. Shia, rather than Sunni in their sympathies, they had been shocked by the end of the Fatimid Caliphate. In 1169, the assassin headquarters at Alamut in Persia sent a new governor to the Nazari province. He was called Sheikh Sinan and was to become better known to the Franks as the old man of the mountains. He now sent to King Amalric, suggesting a close alliance against Nur ad-Din and hinting that he and all his followers were even considering conversion to Christianity. In return, he apparently asked that a tribute which the Templar knights at Tortosa had succeeded in imposing on various assassin villages should be cancelled. Whether or not Amalric believed that the assassins would ever become Christians, he was glad to encourage their friendship. The Sheikh Sinan's envoys returned towards the mountains with the promise of a Frankish embassy to follow soon after. As they journeyed past Tripoli, a Templar knight walked of Meny, acting with the connivance of his grand master, ambushed them and slew them all. King Amalric was horrified. His policy was ruined and his honour stained, just because the order was too greedy to sacrifice a small portion of its revenues. He ordered the grand master, Odo Saint-Amand, to hand over the culprit. Odo refused, merely offering to send Walter to be judged by the Pope, whose sole authority he recognised, but King Amalric was too angry to trouble about the order constitution he hurried with some troops to sidon where the grandmaster and the chapter were staying forced his way into their presence and kidnapped walter whom he cast into prison at tyre the assassins were assured that justice had been done and indeed they even accepted the king's apologies meanwhile king amalric planned to demand from rome that the order of the templars be dissolved the year 1174 opened well for the crusaders The Byzantine alliance held good. The young king of Sicily, William II, promised naval help from the spring. The discord between Nur ad-Din and Saladin was reaching a crisis, and Saladin himself was none too secure in Egypt, where the Shia nobility was again intriguing against him and was in contact with the crusaders. In 1173, he had sent his eldest brother, Turan Shah, to conquer the Sudan so that it might serve as a refuge for him and his family, should he be forced to flee Egypt. Turan occupied the country as far as Ibram, near Wadi Hafa, where he slew the Coptic bishop and his followers, both his congregation and his 700 pigs. But he reported that the land was unsuitable as a refuge. Saladin then sent him to southern Arabia, which he preferred. He conquered it in his brother's name and ruled there as viceroy until 1176. But there was no need to flee from the wrath of nur ad din In the spring of 1174, Nur ad-Din came to Damascus to plan his Egyptian campaign against Saladin. As he rode out one morning with his friends through the orchards, he talked to them of the uncertainty of human life. Nine days later, on the 15th of May, he died of some unknown disease. He had been a great ruler and a good man. He was austere and smiled seldom. He lived simply and forced his family to do likewise, preferring to spend his vast revenues on works of charity. He was a careful and watchful administrator and his wise government consolidated the Islamic realm that his sword had won. In particular, he sought to curb the restlessness of his Turkish and Kurdish emirs by settling them on fiefs for which they paid the rent in soldiers, but his own law courts kept them strictly under control. This mitigated feudalism did much to restore the prosperity of Syria after nearly a century of the rule of the nomads. In appearance, he was tall and dark-skinned, almost beardless, with regular features and a gentle, sad expression. It was said that polo playing was his only recreation. Nuradin's heir was his son, Malik Asili Ismahil a boy of eleven, who had been with him at Damascus. There, the emir Ibn al Mukadam, backed by the boy's mother, seized the regency, while Gumushtakin, governor of Aleppo, which had been Nuradin's chief capital, proclaimed himself there as regent. The boy's cousin, Saifadin of Mosul, intervened to annex Nizibin and all the Jezira as far as Edessa. Saladin, as the governor, of Nur richest province wrote to Damascus to claim that the regency was his but he was powerless at the moment to follow up his claim. The collapse of Muslim unity offered the Franks a chance that Amalric was swift to take. In June, he marched on Banyas. al Mukadam came out from Damascus to meet him and probably as Amalric intended at once proposed to buy him off with a promise of a huge sum of money. The release of all the Frankish prisoners at Damascus and an alliance in the future against Saladin... Amalric, who was beginning to suffer from an attack of dysentery, accepted the proposals. After a pact was signed, he rode back through Tiberias and Nablus to Jerusalem, refusing the comfort of a litter. He arrived there seriously ill. Greek and Syrian doctors were summoned to his bedside, and he told them to bleed him and give him a purge. They refused, for they thought him too weak to stand the strain. So he had recourse to his own Frankish doctor, who had no such scruples. The treatment seemed to do him good. But only for a day or two, on the 11th of July 1174, he died at the age of 38. If history... Is only a matter of challenge and response, then the growth of Muslim unity under Zengi, Nur ad-Din, and Saladin was the inevitable reaction to the First Crusade. But fate too often capriciously loads the dice. At the beginning of 1174, Saladin's star seemed to be setting. The death of Nur ad-Din and the death of King Amalric, neither of them expected, saved him and opened the gateway for his victories to come. For the crusaders of the east, the death death of King Amalric at such a moment and the accidents that had befallen his family foreboded the end of their kingdom. Amalric was the last king of Christian Jerusalem worthy of his throne. He had made mistakes for sure, but his energy and his enterprise had been boundless. He had shown that neither his vassals nor the military orders could defy him. Had he lived longer, he might have challenged the inevitability of the triumph of Islam that was yet to come. And that ends this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'd be so grateful if you left any ratings on this podcast. Thank you so much. And I also just mention for listeners in Australia that my own book, The Byzantine World War, is available on Amazon at a special reduced price of $1.49. And in the next episode, we'll hear how Saladin started to unite Islam against the Crusaders.